Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Terry Kozlowski. Terry is an author, and she's going to talk about her book in just a few minutes, but first she's going to share her story with us. And when she talks about the book, we're referring to, of course, to her book, Raven Transcending Fear. And so we're excited to find out what the the premise of that book is and how she got to that point. But first, she's going to share her story of overcoming with us, and then we'll talk about the book. So Terry, thank you so much for being here. We're glad to have you on Focused on Forward. Thanks, Tim, for having me. My story is one of trauma. And it's a, it's a very sad story because it initially focuses on the fact that all my trauma, all my pain was caused by my mother. And when your main caretaker, like your mother, is the person behind your trauma, it's very, very difficult to overcome. So my story starts out with me being the older sister by 11 months to the day of my sister, Tammy. And we were very close growing up and my parents divorced when I was eight years old. My dad got custody of my sister and I. He was the first man in the state of Maryland to do so because back in the day, the men didn't get custody of children. It was an automatic thing that mom got custody. My dad got custody and we didn't see my mother from the time I was eight until I was 11, except for once. She was moving from New York City to Albuquerque, New Mexico and passed through and visited with us for a day. So at the age of 11, my mother asked if we could come visit. She had told my dad she was now in AA, so she wasn't drinking anymore. And my sister and I wanted to go. So we went and the first two weeks was fabulous. Some of the best memories I have of my mother occurred in those two weeks. Then she started drinking. And what we didn't know at the time was she was not only an alcoholic, but she was now also a drug addict. So my codependent behaviors that I had from before I was eight started kicking in, making sure that she had a drink. And if I was passing drinks out to guests that she was partying with, I was dumping a drink. I was cleaning up messes, making sure that if somebody passed out, they were covered up with a blanket or something. So I did all this and I'm 11. So one evening, everybody's passed out and my sister is sound asleep and I can't wake her. I found out the next day that in the garbage can was a syringe and somebody had drugged her and she slept for three days. I, for some reason, had present of mine enough to know to check for a heartbeat and to watch her breathing. And she seemed to be fine just sleeping. But that night I woke up with a gag in my mouth and my hands bound and somebody holding my legs. 
and three Hispanic men raped me while my mother stood in the corner watching so that she could have drugs. Oh my. She disappeared then for three days while my sister slept. When my sister woke up, she was all upset that my mom wasn't there. And again, I'm 11, my sister's 10. We are in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 3,000 miles away from home. And oh, man. my mother shows up and we, my sister and I go off to the grocery store. And when we get back, my mother is, takes the groceries and she has our suitcases out on the front stoop of her efficiency apartment. And she tells us it's time for us to go home. She goes back in the apartment and locks the door. So I, have, I am now officially abandoned on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico, an 11 year old with her 10 year old sister. And I'm trying to figure out what to do. I don't want to go to the police because that means my mom would get in trouble and I don't want mom getting in trouble. That's part of the whole codependent behaviors that we have when you're a child of an alcoholic is that you want to protect the person that is causing your trauma. So I didn't want her to get in trouble. We ended up at her best friend's house who instigated my rape so that they could have drugs and called my dad. I don't remember much about the conversation because I don't think I, I told him mom kicked us out. I don't think that is what I said. I think I just said we need to come home now. And the next day we were on an airplane back home. And when I got off the airplane, I told my dad I needed therapy. Again, I'm 11. I don't know what therapy is, certainly not in the early 80s. But somehow I had presence enough to know that I knew what happened to me was bad. I knew what happened to my sister from the abandonment aspect was also bad and that we were gonna need help to process this. But in the early eighties, the therapy that I had was not what it is today. They didn't know how to deal with childhood trauma, especially um, rape when it wasn't discussed in any way, shape or form. And so I wasn't gonna say this happened. So it took me a year before I actually told somebody that what exactly happened. And I never actually talked to the therapist about it. So I was in therapy for five years, never talked to her about that. Talked to her about the abandonment. And overall, I think the abandonment is what truly impacted me because there was several things along the way that the abandonment issue has come up. And I am now 18. I'm in college and I have somebody tell me that I am like being a victim. Now, as a trauma survivor, as a victim, you don't, you hold on to that very tightly. That's part of your identity. And I got very, very angry with this friend of mine who had told me that I got something out of being a victim, but it, something struck me about it. I sat with it for a while and contemplated it. And what I realized was he was right. I did get something out of it. And what I got out of it is I got left alone. When you have been through a trauma and people know that you've gone through some sort of trauma. And I was vocal enough to say something had happened because if you came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder, I came around ready to hit you in the face with, with my fist. So I had triggers. And I knew what my triggers were, which again, for somebody that's 12, 13, 14, 15, you don't actually 
under even stand what a trigger is, but I knew that there were certain things that caused me to react badly. Okay. So I was vocal about that with friends and family so that I did not react badly to those I cared about. So because I was vocal enough in that area, but I still wanted to be left alone. And when you are a victim, people are gentle with you. They, you don't, you're not held accountable to the same standards everybody else is because you're fragile. And people talk to you calmly. They don't want to upset you. So you get left alone. But at 18, I figured out that there was a better way for me to communicate that because I could communicate about the triggers. So obviously I can communicate and people hear and understand me. So that it wasn't necessarily a communication thing. So what I did was the first major transformation, which was going from identifying as a victim to identifying as a survivor. And in that mindset shift, the major thing that occurred was twofold. Number one, I was now responsible for where my life went. I was responsible for the decisions I made and I could no longer blame the trauma. I could no longer blame my mother. I could not longer blame the past for the decisions I was making now. Did it still impact me? Yes. Did I still make poor decisions because of my fear? Yes. But I was now responsible. And if I'm responsible, the second thing occurs, I become empowered. Which okay. means the past does not control my future. I control the decisions I make. I choose to go down a different path, one of survivorship, not one of victimhood. Okay. Let me ask you this, Terry. How big of a leap was it for you to go from acknowledging yourself as a victim to that mind shift of being a survivor, because those seem to be, to me, to be very opposite things where you have to go from one to the other. What was that shift like for you? Because I got angry for being told I got something out of being a victim, it made me look at what victimhood meant. Victimhood really is being stuck in a place where Every day I am reliving my trauma. Every day I'm being constantly reminded that according to my mother, I'm unworthy of love. According to my mother, I'm not worth protecting. According to my mother, you know, there's nothing redeemable about me. And yet my day-to-day -day life spoke entirely differently about who I was and what I was doing and who my friends were and who loved me and supported me. So I would, could either stay stuck in victimhood and stuck in the past because my mother wasn't in my present. She was in the past or in my head. And so for me, I don't think it, it was that big of a difficult shift when I actually sat down and looked at what the reality was. And that's the one thing that the ego mind has problems with. And what I mean by that is the ego is a part of us that we need. It's the part of us that say, hey, you're picking berries in the woods and there's a bear over there. You may wanna be careful and slowly move away. But in today's society, we don't have those types of fears for the ego to concentrate on. So it concentrates on things that make us feel bad, not things that are actually dangerous. And so for me, listening to the ego telling me that every time I saw his Hispanic man, I needed to be afraid and run away, 
didn't seem like a really good way for me to conduct my life when I worked with Hispanic men. And I've had more positive experiences with Hispanic men than I have had negative. So when you look at the reality of the situation versus what the ego is telling you, your fear can dissipate. And that, that was the longer process, was understanding how the ego worked and how I could not necessarily reason with the ego, but I could dismiss it. Thank you, ego, for reminding me that that could be something fearful. I acknowledge it, but I dismiss it because it has no bearing on my life currently. And then okay. it dissipates. Okay. Now, you also mentioned that it took you a while to be able to come out and, and talk to, to someone about who did this to you. Um, you said that you'd been in therapy for a while. Uh, although it sounded like you did not talk to your therapist directly about who, who actually perpetrated this. Who did you eventually talk to and share that portion of your story with? Because for, for our listeners, I think it's very important for them to understand that, that talking about it is important and talking to someone, identifying is also important. So how did that work out for you in your story? What I ended up finding out was Oprah Winfrey had started her show and in the mid 80s, she came out in one of her shows and talked about her childhood sexual abuse. For me, that was the first time I ever knew of anybody else on the face of the planet that had gone what I had gone through. And at that point, she had so many people in her audience talking about it. I started doing research and the numbers back in the 80s were one in 10. The sad situation is we're now down to one in three women are sexually assaulted by, oh my. by the time they are 18. Oh my. Okay. So the statistics have gotten worse. So that means that for me, if I'm in a room of people, the amount of those people that have been sexually abused is really great. So being able to find one or two others is basically how I was able to find out. I was in a, um, a group of women. We were talking about different things and I mentioned it and found out there were four other women in the group. So we started talking together. We started talking to one another and getting that out, two things happen. Number one, you're releasing that negativity from not only your mind, but your body. And you're now finding out and you're making connections with somebody else who has been there and who understands in a profound way what you're going through. And as soon as you are able to make that second connection with somebody who understands the relief of it's not only me, the relief of there are, you know, sadly, there are other people in the world that have gone through this makes it not so shameful. And a lot of people go through a lot of shame and blame and guilt about their trauma when there isn't, shouldn't be any shame. The shame comes from keeping the secret. The shame is about the perpetrators, not about the person who had the trauma done to them. And a lot of people don't separate those. Okay, very good. So let's let's move uh, back to your story where you were talking about becoming a survivor and, and, and embracing your survivorship. So take us from that point forward. How does your story move forward? From, from that point, it's a lot of hit or miss. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is once you start, for me, I had in um, Maslow's hierarchy and needs, being safe is number two on the hierarchy needs. My fear was so 
tremendous that I never felt safe. And I got married, I had a child, still haven't felt, felt safe. And I get divorced and I meet somebody else and I'm not quite sure what's going on. I feel this feels really strange when I'm with him. And it took a little while, but I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not afraid. And because I wasn't afraid, that feeling that there's a different feeling when you are literally stuck and everything you do is based on fear. You can't grow. You can't expand you because all you're looking for is that finding a safe place. And even though, you know, I was at home with my dad and I physically was safe, mentally, I never felt safe. So once I got uh, and married my current husband and felt the safe, then all the other things that the trauma caused can now be dealt with. Because if you don't feel safe, you can't deal with anything else. So I started feeling safe and I started finding out that the thorny blanket I had on uh, was harming me. And what I mean by that is when we, any type of feeling bad, any type of trauma, we wanna cozy up in a blanket and get and snuggle all in and get comfortable. Well, when you're, when you do that after a trauma, you don't realize that some of the things with the blanket is that there are thorns in it. Those are self-defense mechanisms that the ego put in place that worked, really did work for a long time. But as you grow and expand, they become hindrances. Yeah, so the negative thorny, sides. Yeah. Yep. So the thorny blanket was something I would try to take off and it would hurt to take it off. And what was happening what I didn't realize is when you start the healing process, there is tingling sensations, there's slight pain. When you cut your finger, it bleeds and then it tingles. And sometimes if it gets infected, it oozes, then it finally starts healing and it scabs over. So there's all this process in, in healing that we don't realize is also a process for us to heal from emotional wounds as well. So I would try to take the thorny blanket off, feel the pain. And now this pain is unfamiliar. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to process it. So I put the thorny blanket back on because at least that pain I understood. I knew what that felt like. It was normal. So I get to be much older and I realize I can't do this anymore. This, this is just me not being my authentic self, me being miserable, wearing these masks that other people wanted me to wear, putting on armor so that I can be protected from others' words was taking its toll on me. So I decided to rip the thorny blanket off like a Band-Aid. And that was a little traumatic as well because now I'm, I have these wounds that are all over me festering and different stages of healing and somebody in unintentionally goes and you know rubs my back and i'm like oh my gosh that's painful and so you have all these little triggers that you're really not sure where they're coming from and it was interesting i had totally moved away from all my support mechanism that i had in place brand new place new people no family and other than my husband and that's where I'm plopped in to do all this work. Wow. Yeah, that could make that could be a daunting experience then. What I realized was there were people along my path that were able to help me in ways that if I had stayed where I was, 
I would never have gone through the healing process for me as quickly as I did. Because sometimes when you are plopped in a new location with new people, you have to learn to trust others. You have to learn to, you know, all right, I'm going to share this. And if it comes back to bite me, then I've learned a lesson. And I think that's really what for me occurred was I started saying to myself, even if this doesn't turn out well, I'm learning from it. And as long as I was learning from it, then no experience was ever actually negative. I may not have liked the outcome, but at least I learned something from it. Yeah, I talked with someone else who um, was going through some some therapy for trauma and um, a different level of trauma, different style of trauma. But they had mentioned that when they decided to purge, they called it a purge. Uh, you know, your thorny blanket was their purge. When they decided to purge themselves and try to remove all this, they said that at first it was very, the feeling was very liberating, very freeing, but then it was almost as quickly as that feeling of, of liberation was also the feeling of I'm openly exposed and uh, trying to deal with this whole new onset of emotions that came with that. Uh, Is that, so is that similar to what you were thinking there as well? Right. That's when I said that, you know, somebody is trying to, you know, rub your back and give you yeah, okay. and I'm like, ouch, that hurts. What the heck was that? Yes. So that's the same kind of thing because all the different emotions that you've now hidden yourself from because your thorny blanket, your armor, your mask protect you from those things. And part of you thinks that, you know, the ego has been protecting you and the ego really hasn't been protecting you. The ego just points out to you, you know what they, that guy, in the meeting you had last week, make a negative comment. You don't want to be in the same room with him instead of saying, maybe he didn't. And, or maybe I just dismiss it because, you know, he and everybody was upset. So, you know, you have to look at the situation. Every circumstance is different. And that's really what it came down to. The ego points out the similar things that happened in the past that could happen now. And reality is what's happening now is always with different people. You know, I moved away. I, I had no people in my life that caused my trauma. So I was completely devoid of those people. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. All right. So we, we've gotten to the point of you removing this, this thorny blanket. And let's go from there to how you decided it was important or the timing was right for you to start writing a book. What was that like? How'd you get there? So if you would have asked me... Um, at any time prior to me starting the book, if I, if I was going to write a book, it was not just no, it was hell no, not doing <laughs> that. And then in 2018, I turned 50 and I became pregnant with a book. And what I mean by that is the title came to me, Raven Transcending Fear. And then I wrote a poem the next day. And the poem has six stanzas in it, which are the beginning of each of the chapters is stanza of the poem. And for me, it is a representation of my life and trauma through the raven. Now the raven is significant to me because I am Native American. I'm Athabascan, Tinglet, Raven Clan. And when I started learning about my heritage, I found out a lot about the raven and its mythology. And for the Tinglets, they are the bringer of light. They are the trickster. They are, they remind us to have fun and 
they're playful, and yet they're resourceful. In all of mythology, ravens have been associated with the dead, mainly because they come to help the spirit go to heaven. So that's part in, in the Bible, raven is um, what Noah sends off from the ark to allow, uh, and the raven doesn't come back because the raven's so resourceful, it found someplace to live and make a home or a shiny object because they like shiny objects too. So that was the, um, so I wrote this Raven poem and then I sat down and in nine months flat, I had a book. I sat down, I was working 50 hours a week at the time and I had nights and weekends and I would sit at my computer and just type. I had no outline. I had no plans on how, what was happening. And I just- oh, wow, okay. So this poured out of me and uh, it took another, um, 18 months or so to get it all the edits done and everything and then send out book proposals. So in October of last year, I got a book contract and Raven Transcending Fear came out on February 12th. You can get it on Amazon in both paperback and in Kindle format. But the process was very liberating as far as, as I'm when I finished the book and I started researching, okay, how do you publish a book? How do you do all this? I did a lot of research and found out that I needed a platform. So I started blogging. I created my own website and started blogging in February, or excuse me, January of 2019. Have been blogging every week since then. And then my son, who's in his late 20s, said, Mom, you need a podcast. I said, Why do I need a podcast? because the younger generation listens to podcasts. You have a bigger audience. So in August of 2020, I started a podcast called Soul Solutions. And it's where I take about 15 minutes and we dive deep into some aspect of my life as far as how to overcome shame, how to overcome limiting beliefs, understanding that forgiveness is a sign that you are healing, all those different things um, I dive deep in for about 15 minutes on the show. So, and then the book came out. So I've been doing promotion for the book. With our story, uh, the reason why I got into to this with our issue with our daughter and her health, people wanted, kept telling me, you should write a blog about that. And I'm not a writer, so that wasn't a, really an option for me. I can talk though. I like talking to people and I like sharing people's stories and I like hearing their stories and and so that's why doing a podcast for me was kind of a natural fit because this allows me to talk to great folks like you and, and hear your stories. And, and I love to hear how people have overcome something uh, troubling or, or a hardship in their life. So that's fantastic. Now, where can people find your podcasting? I know you mentioned where they can find your book, but uh, where are the typical places that people could look for the Soul Solutions podcast? SocialSolutionPodcast.com, but it is on Apple, Spotify, it's on all the stations, Amazon, so you can find it everywhere, um, but you can go to my website, TerryKozlowski.com, and you will find um, the book, RavenTranscendingFear.com, you can find SocialSolutionsPodcast.com, those are the direct links to everything. Fantastic. Okay, well, I want to thank you for coming on and, and talking with us. Uh, there's, there's so many more conversations we could have about this topic and and especially with you you've a uh, very easy interview by the way i just want to say 
Uh, you're very easy to listen to. So I'm, I'm also going to start checking out your podcast because if I can listen to you on this topic here, and it's been this easy to talk about a difficult topic, I can only imagine uh, how nice the rest of your podcast must be. So, uh, and, and I, I feel bad that I did not do my due diligence to know that you had a podcast before this. So I apologize. I would, I certainly would have listened beforehand. Um, but uh, so anyway, guys, uh, if you're paying attention to this amazing conversation with Terry, that you're going to go out and check out her book, Raven Transcending Fear. I think that's an important thing to do. And of course, we want to check out her podcast as well, the Soul Solutions Podcast. So Terry, thank you so much for being a guest on Focused on Forward. It's been a pleasure to have you today. Thank you, Tim. I had a nice time with you. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email, focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.